wife Sana and I recently watched a movie called The World's Fastest Indian. And if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. it stars Anthony Hopkins, and he portrays uh, the, a fellow by the name of Burt Monroe, this very eccentric, sometimes laughably goofy or awkward uh, gentleman from New Zealand, Invercargill to be exact. And this Burt Monroe displays what I call DD. F. DDF is an acronym for Drive, Discipline, and Focus. And through this DDF, Burt Monroe achieved something truly remarkable. Now, the movie itself wasn't exactly, it's not like the Game of Thrones or some of these action movies where there's this insurmountable obstacle that you must encounter or you must overcome and ultimately rescue the princess. It wasn't anything like that. But he did have to overcome a great deal of adversity to go to to achieve his goal. And it was only through that DDF, that drive, discipline, and focus, that he was able to do this one thing, which was to break the land speed record at the Bonneville Salt Flats in Utah. DDF is a mantra that I have adopted recently and slowly but surely is becoming a mainstay in my own personal lexicon for business and personal affairs. Drive, discipline, focus. Drive is the energy from within to accomplish something meaningful, a mission, a purpose, an ikigai, as the Japanese call it. And if you haven't done so yet, listen to my interview with Hector Garcia, the author of a book titled Ikigai, which is one of the uh, better books, one one of the more authoritative books on the concept of ikigai. But it's a, a mission, a purpose in life. Discipline is the structure, constraints from which that mission, that ikigai, is accomplished. Focus is the way in which the energy is directed towards achieving or living out the ikigai. Now, throughout this movie, Burt Monroe encounters all of these crazy things, all of these insane hardships that would make ordinary men without a drive, without discipline and focus, just throw up their hands in despair and say, it's just not worth it. I'm going to go home and go back and watch Netflix. Of course, this is 1962, so there is no Netflix, but you understand what I'm saying. Lesser men would just give up. In one scene, he encounters aggression from a local bike gang down there in New Zealand, and they are just mocking him. They're ridiculing him right out in public at the at this dance right in the in the town. They're just <laughs> there and, and just making fun of him, saying, oh, you, you old man, uh, your motorcycle couldn't do anything. And they challenge him to a race. And uh, Monroe is, he's polite. He's like, he just kind of laughs it off. But because he's supremely confident in his skills, his abilities to do what he says he's, he can do. He is willing to put his money where his mouth is. And in the next scene, it's quite funny how, how it all plays out. He has to get some of the local guys to push his old Indian motorcycle just so it can get off. Everybody else has got this huge head start, but eventually he finally gets going and, and just blows everyone out of the water. It's, it's, it's quite, quite a scene. So this unassuming, eccentric goofy guy is just focused on that one thing, that one thing in his entire life. That's what he lives for, and that's to break the speed record at the Bonneville Salt Flats in Utah. In another scene in the movie, he's being interviewed by the people who are checking out his passport at the Customs and Immigration when he's entering the United States from the ship so that he can go to Utah. He's in Los Angeles. They ask him why he's in the United States, and he doesn't say that he's there to go sightseeing. He doesn't say he's there to visit friends. He doesn't even say that he's on his way to Utah so that he can race at the uh, Bonneville Salt Flats. He says very flatly, see what I did there, that he's in the United States to break the land speed record at the Bonneville Salt Flats. That's why he's entering the United States. 
And these customs officers, they don't know what to do with this. They're, they haven't encountered somebody who, with this level of drive and this level of determination and focus. But he, they eventually acquiesce. They see this, this guy isn't trying to get over on us, and we're going to let him in. They welcome him into the United States. Uh, Bert Monroe's DDF, Drive, Discipline, and Focus, does not mean he's wealthy. In fact, he's quite poor. He lives in a very humble abode there in Invercargill, New Zealand. He has to mortgage his measly property just to pay the fare to the United States, to pay for shipping his motorcycle. And while he's in the United States, he sleeps in uh, very cheap hotels most of the time in his car. And sometimes he has to rely on the kindness of strangers so he can save on expenses like hotels and fixing the tires that, that fall off the trailer carrying his motorcycle. So his drive and that singular focus on that one thing, breaking the land speed record at the Bonneville Salt Flats in Utah, makes everything else secondary in the periphery. How he should behave in public, who he should be seen in public with, even the rules of the event when he arrives there in Bonneville and realizes that he hasn't properly registered, his motorcycle can't pass the inspection, they're laughing at him as, as to how archaic his machine looks by the modern standards, but he will not be denied. He just sticks with it. And he's not pushy. He, he's not arrogant. He doesn't try to say, look, you good-for-nothing jerks. I came all the way from New Zealand, and you're going to give me what I ask for, or else I'm going to sue you. There's nothing like that. But he is quite persistent, and he's quite stubborn, and he does say, look, give me a break. I came here from New Zealand. How am I supposed to know I'm supposed to register? All he wants to do is just do what he said he's going to do, break the land speed record. He's, he, he doesn't he can't concern himself with trivial things like registration and making sure that his machine is up to the code of the, uh, of the event. And eventually, they relent. They said, okay, fine, you can race. Not only are we going to let you run your motorcycle, but we're going to let you actually race, and we're going to time you. And he, lo and behold, uh, the final scene, he does, in fact, break the land speed record, to the delight of everybody there who has uh, become acquainted with him and has just fallen in love with him because of he's, he's just so sweet and he's so kind but so determined. So he literally breaks the will of these event organizers who don't bend the rules all that often, from what I can gather based on the script, so that his mission, his ikigai, can proceed as planned. Drive, discipline, focus. That's how anything meaningful is really achieved. If you don't have a purpose, a mission, an ikigai, how are you going to know what to do with the energy that you've been given by your creator? If you don't have the discipline to set schedules, establish processes, procedures, do sometimes tedious and mundane tasks related to the accomplishment of your vision, Nothing's going to get done. And if you don't have that laser focus that is directing your energy into accomplishing that mission, that inch wide and a mile deep analogy, well, you're going to be very busy. You'll be really active, but will you be productive? Will you really accomplish anything? Are you really going to accomplish your purpose on this earth? If you don't have that combination of DDF, your expended energy will be in vain. Now, if you're listening to this, take heart in that most people, I'd say about 99% of people walking this earth, will never have a real mission, a real purpose for their lives. They've been trained since birth to just go with the currents of society, think the thoughts that the media pushes into the public consciousness, have the biases that certain so-called thought leaders want us to have. It could be that you're listening to this podcast because it's part of your own purpose in life that you perhaps have yet to discover, or an important means of accomplishing your purpose, such as a media project that maybe I can help out with, or give some coaching, or some guidance in accomplishing your vision. Whatever the case may be, life is meaningless without purpose, not to mention the structure and the focus to live out that purpose in a meaningful way. 
And again, I want to direct your attention to that interview that I did with Hector Garcia. Go to trumpetdynamics.live forward slash ikigai, I-K-I-G-A-I, trumpetdynamics.live forward slash ikigai. That's going to take you to that interview that I did with Hector Garcia in the summer of 2021. Now, if you're in need of some coaching, some guidance, some uh, uh, a good swift kick in the pants if necessary, then hit me up, jnukem at jns.media, and uh, let's talk. See if I can help you accomplish your purpose, your ikigai in life. Well, now that I got that off my chest, welcome to the show. This is the final, I hope, replay from the archives of the podcast before we get back into brand new and organic content this is with Tony Glauzy, the great jazz trumpeter. I met Tony at the ITG conference in Anaheim in 2016 and have stayed in touch ever since. And we had a nice chat. I, I don't even remember when we had this conversation, honestly. I think it was maybe 2018, 2017. I really can't remember, honestly. But I saw it in the archives and I, I listened to it again and I thought, this is a good one. Uh, and you guys are going to like this. So again, I think, hopefully, fingers crossed, this is the last of the archives before we get back into fresh interviews. But uh, just because this is uh, recorded a few years ago doesn't mean that it's not good now. So enjoy it. I guess today is a rising star in the world of jazz trumpet. You can find him on the web at TonyGlauzy.com. Just finished his studies at the University of Oregon. And now he just recently moved to the Big Apple, New York City. So as a result, we might hear a little bit of traffic noise in the background, but that's the way it is with New York City. So welcome to the show, Tony Glaussi. Thanks very much, James. I got to interview you a couple of years ago on Trumpet Dynamics podcast. And uh, wow, what a difference two years has made. You were in, uh, I, I think you were just beginning your studies as a master's student at Oregon. And uh, wow, since then you've won a couple of competitions at ITG, Carmine Caruso, busy guy, and playing your ass off all over the place, and now you're making it happen. It's been it's been wild, yeah, I'll say. Yeah, these last two years have been probably the most busy um, and the mm-hmm. most fulfilling so far of my life, but I think that's... That's how I'd want it to be. That's that's how it should be. So it's I've I've been super grateful um, and fortunate to be to be to be where I am and to have done the things that I've done. So, so these two years have been the most profitable and the most f- fulfilling of your twenty two years on the earth. Twenty three. Twenty three. Twenty Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I, I would only hope that that would be the case. That with each year, with you know, as my career develops, that I you know, further along than the last year and, you know, enjoying what I'm doing even more and more comfortable in, I know, in, I'm, in the I industry know, I, and all that. So. It's just that there's got to be some crusty old trumpet player out there is like, ah, you don't even know, kid. I don't even know. <laughs> I, I'm not even going to pretend to know. <laughs> I've only really been, you know, making a living as a musician really since I was 18 years old. So it's been, uh-huh. what, five and a half years or so. So I'm fresh. I'm, I'll, I'll be the first to admit it. I, lo- I love to to admit that I know nothing. I really feel that way, you know, like Socrates and Plato and all those great philosophers, they were always so proud of realizing that they didn't really know anything. And I'm right, I'm right there. I'm like, yep, I'm, I'm fresh. And Oh, so now you're equating yourself with Socrates. Oh, no, in no way. <laughs> I just share that same, you know, I that same... It. Mindset. I'm messing with it's you, like, <laughs> That's what I'm supposed to do. That's my job. That's what these interviews are all about, huh? It's to make you feel as uncomfortable as possible. <laughs> I'm good. You haven't got me uh, yet. I'm sure you'll get there. 18. So that's relatively young to start. You said you were making a living. Was yeah. Like, was that like a full-time income? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I had it I had it rough, um, but in, in a really good way. I... I decided to go to the University of Oregon and do my undergraduate degree and um, graduate degree because it was free. I had a full ride scholarship and then I had a graduate teaching assistantship. Um, 
And, you know, I, I came from a family that uh, definitely had enough, but we did not have the resources to send me to like USC, which was sort of my dream school. Um, I, I had a partial scholarship there, but that school is like insane <laughs> for tuition. So, right. Um, it, and it wasn't even a, a letdown to sort of arrive at the conclusion that the best thing for me and my family was for me to go to the U of O because U of O has a great program. So w- what I'm saying is that from a young age, um, even younger than 18, I, I sort of had to, I, I had to make my life happen. And that's not because my parents were checked out. I have absolutely the world's most amazing parents, um, hardworking. And like, and my dad, you know, it's a, it, we have a, we have a large family, six, six kids, um, and two, and two parents. So that's, that's eight people, uh, <laughs> that need to be <laughs> fed and housed and whatnot. Um, so me and my older sister, I'm the second in my family, just, just from a young age, we, we kind of learned basically how to, how to make a living and like feed ourselves as far as, you know, like extra, extra activities go, you know what I'm saying? So like at, at age yeah, 14, yeah. so the the brief story is that at age 14, I started teaching trumpet lessons. Um, and it was mostly for middle schoolers. And I, I don't think I, I think my rate was like 20, maybe 25 an hour. And that's how I paid for gas. That's how I paid for clothes. That's how I paid for food out with friends. Right. Um, so I, I learned quickly how to sort of structure a really small, um, you know, independent music business basically. And by age 17, I had started playing like shows and gigs and performances and whatnot for, for money too. And that, that got really fun. And that's kind of what kept me in music. Um, you know, I felt like I had a talent and a, and a real passion for it, but it was really my, my senior year in high school starting to focus on jazz and improvisation and and playing those kind of gigs. I had a blast doing it and it felt really good to, to make money playing music. So when I came to college as a freshman, um, I lived with my grand, my grandfather for free, um, and then was going to school for free, but that didn't mean my life was free, right? Like I, there was still, um, a car and gas and food and clothes and, and all, and books and all those things. And so I just basically had to figure it out. And that's what I tell people. They're like, man, you've always been so busy with music. And I always tell them it's because I had to, that was that was my way of making a living. I mean, sure, I, I could have gotten a, a job doing something else, um, no doubt, but I had been making a living playing music and teaching and doing all those things, and I wanted to continue to do that because that was what I liked to do with my time um, to earn an, an income you know, of, of some sort, S- small, very, very humble <laughs> at age 18. Even yeah. now, I mean, it's... So I think, I think that kind of gives you an idea for, for how and, and why... Um, at age 18 and now, and at age 14, you know, I was, I was doing the things that I was doing. Um, again, I have to say, it's, it's not that my, my parents like weren't there or anything like they're, they're the best. And, and there was definitely financial support, um, from them. But me and my older sister talk about this all the time, like just the difference in being the older two siblings versus like the youngest two. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's just a, like your family's in a different place. And, and so me and my older sister have just been kind of like really independent, um, financially and just as far as lifestyle goes and just really figuring things out from a young age. I also got married when when me and my wife were 21, um, which is like super weird and super young, especially for these days. And I think part of that was just like my wife and I are, are, are just really value, I guess, independence and just, I don't know, like figuring things out for yourself and Welcome to Trumpet Dynamics, a podcast made by trumpeters for trumpeters, telling stories that trumpeters want to hear. My name is James Newcomb, and I'm your host. Welcome to the show. Attention cold sore sufferers, the answer has arrived. Lip Repair by Robinson's Remedies is the cure for what ails you. To order a tube, go to trumpetdynamics.com slash repair. This episode of Trumpet Dynamics is brought to you by you. Do you have a product that you need thousands of trumpet players to hear about? 
Contact us about advertising opportunities on the Trumpet Dynamics podcast and website. Just use the contact form on the homepage of trumpetdynamics.com. In case you're wondering, yes, I am intentionally speaking directly over the sax solos. Now, Trumpet Dynamics is all about telling the stories that you want to hear and helping you get the gigs that you want to get. To that end, we have several ways for you to stay in touch with Trumpet Dynamics. We've got a killer Facebook group called Trumpeters with Real Gigs. We are really active on social media, Instagram, and our Facebook page. And we have a killer email newsletter that we send out every day, sending practical advice, tips, and tricks on how to get the gigs that you really want. All the information that you need to follow us and stay up to date is on the show notes for this episode, which is trumpetdynamics.com slash tony glousy and of course on the homepage, trumpetdynamics.com. So without any further ado, let's get on with today's program. My guest today is a rising star in the world of jazz trumpet. We can find him on the web at TonyGlousy.com. Just finished his studies at the University of Oregon. And now he just recently moved to the Big Apple, New York City. So as a result, we might hear a little bit of traffic noise in the background, but that's the way it is with New York City. So welcome to the show, Tony Glousy. Thanks very much, James. I got to interview you a couple of years ago on Trumpet Dynamics podcast, and uh, wow, what a difference two years has made. You were in, uh, I, I think you were just beginning your studies as a master's student at Oregon, and uh, wow, since then you've won a couple of competitions at ITG, Carmine Caruso, busy guy, and playing your ass off all over the place, and now you're making it happen. It's been it's been wild, yeah. I'll say, yeah. These last two years have been probably the most busy, um, and the mm-hmm. most fulfilling so far of my life. But I think that's that's how I'd want it to be. That's that's how it should be. So it's I've I've been super grateful um, and fortunate to be to be to be where I am and to have done the things that I've done. So, so these two years have been the most profitable and the most f- fulfilling of your twenty two years on the earth. 23. <laughs> 23. <laughs> um, yeah, I would say so. I mean, I, I would only hope that that would be the case that with each year with, you know, as my career develops that I, you know, further along than the last year and, you know, enjoying what I'm doing even more and more comfortable in, I know, in, in I'm, the I industry know, I, and all that. So. It's just that there's got to be some crusty old trumpet player out there is like, ah, you don't even know, kid. I don't even know. I'm not even going to pretend to know. I've only really been, you know, making a living as a musician really since I was 18 years old. So it's been, uh-huh. what, five and a half years or so. So I'm fresh. I'm, I'll, I'll be the first to admit it. I, lo- I love to, to admit that I know nothing. I really feel that way, you know, like Socrates and Plato and all those great philosophers, they were always so proud of realizing that they didn't really know anything. And I'm right. I'm right there. I'm like, yep. Yeah, I'm I'm fresh and oh so now you're equating yourself with Socrates. Oh no, in no way. <laughs> I just share that same, you know, I that same it. mindset. I'm messing with you. Like... <laughs> That's what I'm supposed to do. That's my job. That's what these interviews are all about, huh? It's to make you feel as uncomfortable as possible. I'm good. 
You haven't got me uh, yet. I'm sure you'll get there. 18. So that's relatively young to start. You said you were making a living. Was yeah. Like, was that like a full-time income? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I had it. I had it rough, um, but in, in a really good way. I, I decided to go to the University of Oregon and do my undergraduate degree and um, graduate degree because it was free. I had a full ride scholarship and then I had a graduate teaching assistantship. Um, and, you know, I, I came from a family that uh, definitely had enough, but we did not have the resources to send me to like USC, which was sort of my dream school. Um, I, I had a partial scholarship there, but that school is like insane <laughs> for tuition. So, right. um, it, and it wasn't even a, a letdown to sort of arrive at the conclusion that the best thing for me and my family was for me to go to the U of O cause U of O has a great program. So w- what I'm saying is that from a young age, um, even younger than 18, I, I sort of had to, I, I had to make my life happen and that's not because my parents were checked out i have absolutely the world's most amazing parents um hardworking and like and my dad you know it's a it, we have a we have a large family six six kids um and two and two parents so that's that's eight people uh <laughs> that need to be <laughs> fed and housed and whatnot um so me and my older sister i'm the second in my family just just from a young age we we kind of learned basically how to how to make a living and like feed ourselves as far as you know like extra extra activities go you know what i'm saying so like at at age yeah, 14 yeah. so the the brief story is that at age 14 i started teaching trumpet lessons um and it was mostly for middle schoolers and i, I don't think I, I think my rate was like 20 maybe 25 an hour and that's how i paid for gas that's how i paid for clothes that's how i paid for food out with friends right um so i, I learned quickly how to sort of structure a really small um you know independent music business basically and by age 17 i had started playing like shows and gigs and performances and whatnot for for money too and that that got really fun and that's kind of what kept me in music um you know i felt like i had a talent and and a real passion for it but it was really my my senior year in high school starting to focus on jazz and improvisation and, and playing those kind of gigs. I, I had a blast doing it and it felt really good to, to make money playing music. So when I came to college as a freshman, um, I lived with my grand, my grandfather for free. Um, and then was going to school for free, but that didn't mean my life was free, right? Like I, there was still, um, a car and gas and food and clothes and, and all, and books and all those things. And so I, just basically had to figure it out. And that's what I tell people. They're like, man, you've always been so busy with music. And I always tell them it's because I had to, that was, that was my way of making a living. I mean, sure. I I could have gotten a a job doing something else. Um, no doubt, but I had been making a living playing music and teaching and doing all those things. And I wanted to continue to do that because that was what I liked to do with my time, um, to earn an an income, you know, of, of some sort small very very humble at age 18 even now i mean it's so i think i think that kind of gives you an idea for for how and and why um at age 18 and now and at age 14 you know i was i was doing the things that i was doing um again i have to say it's it's not that my my parents like weren't there or anything like they're they're the best and and there was definitely financial support um from them but me and my older sister talk about this all the time like just the difference in being the older two siblings versus like the youngest two. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's just a, like your family's in a different place. And, and so me and my older sister have just been kind of like really independent um, financially and just as far as lifestyle goes and just really figuring things out from a young age. I also got married when, when me and my wife were 21, um, which is like super weird and super young, especially for these days. And I think part of that was just like my wife and I are, are, are just really value, I guess, independence and just, I don't know, like figuring things out for yourself. And so we kind of agreed on that as, as far as our, our lifestyle, our life choices go. And that's all, that's all part of the equation. So yeah, I've, I've had to become like very quickly responsible for like everything in my life. Now, when I was 18, of course I wasn't paying, um, for 
like all these insurances that I'm currently paying for, you know? So it, yeah. it, it, it has been a progressive thing. Like each year I've become more and more responsible. And I'm at the point where uh, Courtney and I are paying for, for everything. And, you know, at age 23, I think that's a, that's a hard, but really great um, thing to be going through because for a lot of my friends who are still, you know, figuring things out financially, um, it's, it's really hard with like, with like each new, new year that comes to have added responsibility and have that weight of like, holy smokes, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to be an adult. Because uh, you really don't, I mean, I really didn't see that or realize that even when I was 14 years old and I was just teaching private lessons for like extra spending money. Now I didn't really realize how expensive it, it really is just to like be alive with a, a quality of life that, that you want to have. Yeah. <laughs> it's, well, sunsets are still free. That's right. No, it's true. But and that's you, about and, it. Well, and and the older I get, the the more I realize that it's those it's those free things that are really really <laughs> what like put value into my life. You know, like my wife and I had a had a, just a like an amazing night last night in the city, and we didn't spend a dime. Um, and we just had like a really fortunate like you know sequence of events that just was really fun. Um, and why? What happened? Oh, we just we we were lucky to go to one of my friend's performances down, um, down in uh, in Midtown, and you know it was it was a no cover. He he was he was very nice and and bought us drinks, um, or offered the the band drinks with us, uh, and then had me play, and we just had a great time. And then I went over to another restaurant over in the village and played with another band, and you know we just had we just had a blast last night, and it was it was all free of charge. I mean we have our our subway pass, right? But you know we just. <laughs> We feel we feel fortunate when those things happen, like you said. The sunset is free. <laughs> like there, there are many things to enjoy in life that that don't have to. So Tony Glousey and his trumpet got an evening on the town for free, all because you're connected to someone who knows, like like this person played at the club, and then you had a gig, and did they feed you because you were, were on a gig? I, I I chose to not eat the food because i had already oh, okay. eaten but yeah that's, that's pretty common eat. in the city um to yeah to be fed at the gig if you're playing at a restaurant or whatever there are a lot of it's really cool new york has, has so many different restaurant gigs and it's nice when they feed the band <laughs> well they have to feed the band happy band makes great music a, a, a fat band makes makes good music so well you're talking about 14 you're just you just have this need of you just gotta put food on the table. I mean, when you're fourteen, well, I mean, you don't not have to really. No, no, no. My, my parents are putting food on the table. No, you, no. I'm not, yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying that. But you just had this. You've always had this entrepreneurial spirit. That I think now, that that is what it is. Yeah, and I felt the need yeah, the, the need to so, have that so why entrepreneurial did, spirit. And, and I'm not trying to be critical of asking this, but why did you go to college if you're already if you already have the wherewithal and the and the talent and the sort of the gumption to make make enough money playing your horn? Well, knowing what I know now and having experienced what I've experienced now, uh, to be totally honest, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure that I would have gone to college just being where mm -hmm. I'm at right now. Um, because right. of kind of what you're saying, it's like you, you start to realize that it really is just about drive and talent and connecting with people and, you know, how your entrepreneurial experience and mindset and all those things. So, but that being said, I think the reason I chose to go, um, in addition to the fact that it's just like kind of the normal thing to do when you graduate high school, um, I went because it was free. I, I don't, uh, I'm not saying that I would, would not have gone if like USC was the only school I applied to and I, I didn't, you know, didn't get a full ride or whatever. I'm not sure that I would have just not gone to college. I, again, these like now knowing what I know, I probably would not have gone. But, but back then I, I was just looking at it I like to, I like to lead my life. I, I like to follow that, like the path of least resistance. <laughs> and so going to the university of Oregon, um, felt like the path of least resistance. It, it felt smoother and I'm not like a, it's not like choosing the easy route. It's just choosing the smoothest route. The one that, and, and I do think that there's so much growing and you know, that, that, that rule doesn't always apply, but there, you know, cause there's so much growing, uh, um, and so many positive experiences that you can have through, choosing the path that is like the most resistant. But in this case, I, I definitely feel like I chose the, the smoothest route because mm -hmm. it seemed 
to just make like fit my life. Like it, it seemed to make sense. And to be completely honest, like my wife and I moved to New York because it seemed smooth and to fit our path. She's working right now um, at the Manhattan School of Music. She works with and for the president and the board of directors, which is a, a, a job similar to what she was doing back in Oregon with the Eugene Symphony. So it, and, and for me as well, like just continuing to do freelancing and teaching and recording and writing and all those things just in New York with this amazing music scene. It, it, it just felt like, like honestly the least resistant path, which, which may seem funny to, to a lot of people. So, um, yeah, that, I, I think that's why college felt like the right step for me. Again, when, yeah. when I have high schoolers asking me, you know, what do you think, which college should I go to? Should I go to college at all? I'm, I'm not like super dark on music education necessarily. And I'm not going to just tell somebody, Oh, definitely don't go. But I will tell them like, well, in my opinion, um, you know, music school just gets you certain things, you know, it gets you studying with certain people in a certain environment, in a certain town, and you'll meet a certain type of, you know, co- you know, colleagues, you'll, you'll meet people that are similar to you if you choose to go to school. It's, it's so, uh, what, I, mean, I basically say it's going to get you what it's going to get you, but it's not necessarily going to get you like gigs, or it's not necessarily going to get you experience that you might be looking for, yada, yada, yada. So, Again, I don't like shoot down the idea of it because I see so much value in collegiate education, but I also see it very frequently not really leaving students with anything other than like the things, you know, like the, the things that they learn in their in their coursework, basically. Does that make sense? So it's like so many people think that they'll go to school and then they'll just like make it in the music industry. They're, oh, yeah, I'll just... But, but that's really not how it works. And so as long as people know that, they know that going to school is most likely a route for people that want to end up in academia in some way, because this is really true, especially if you just look at like statistically what, what ends up happening to people that graduate with um, bachelor's or master's or doctor degrees in music, right? They end up sort of in the academic world. Not to say that those people aren't con- like... A genuine contributors to the music field. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah, we, we get it, Tony. Yeah, yeah. We get it. So that's Tony's saying, don't go to college. No, I'm just saying you got to know what it gets. I'm, you. Just, I'm just kidding. Tony. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's let me ask you this, and this is totally hypothetical, and you know yourself better than anyone else. Let's say that uh, you weren't able to go to college, like Oregon didn't give you a full ride, and it's just let's just say it's impossible. And, you know, I mean, it's not impossible, but you're, you, you look at your options and you say, I'm able to make a living. I've already proven to myself that I can uh, make ends meet with my music. And you just choose to not go to college. How do you think your life, well, let me ask you this, what do you think you would have done instead of co- college to further your career? Um, well, if I knew, see, because to be totally honest, I... When I, when I entered um, University of Oregon, I actually entered as a, as a classical trumpet major. Uh, and then very mm-hmm. quickly, like in a week, I just like switched to jazz <laughs> studies. Um, it took you a week. <laughs> no, I mean, that, I didn't like burn out. I was just like, oh, I know. No, I just like, I think I, because I didn't, I didn't really understand that. I mean, I knew that there were majors, but maybe I just thought that like trumpet was a major or something. Oh, so okay. I switched to, I switched to jazz um, pretty quickly. But <laughs> all that to say, like, I, I wasn't even really sure like what I was doing. Um, I just knew that like I had a, a love for music and I had a gift for music. Um, and that's, so I guess, I guess I don't, I don't even know that if I hadn't have gone to college, I'm not even sure that I would necessarily have pursued music. It's almost like going to college is what kept me in the game as weird as that sounds oh, interesting. As, as like contradictory okay. to what I, you know, cause that's, that's sort of going against what I was saying was for me, I, I wasn't just so sure that, music was the thing until I started doing it. And like, and like Ah. we were saying, like, until I started making a living as an 18 year old with, you know, the, the teaching and the performing and just thinking like, Hey, this is like kind of cool. Like, even if I was only making, you know, five or $600 a month, like it was, it was kind of like this exciting thing that I could sort of like cover my, my bases, you know, I was like, wait, maybe I could do this, you know? And I think that's, that was (laughs) No, you know, again, knowing what I know now, what would I have done differently? I, I'm not really sure. So it, it's, you know, I mean, life, it just goes in all, in all kinds of crazy directions. And I, I will say that I think that college helped keep me in the game. And if I didn't go to school for music and I had just decided to be a musician, who knows, maybe I would have just done that for a bit and not really dug it because I mean, I was living in the Portland area, right? Like I would have just, I don't know, gone to sessions and just try to like make a band and 
I'm not sure. So it, 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 that's why I, I can't, I can't knock, I can't really knock college because I, I am where I am so much in part of just because of just going to school and like having this environment to just try things and experiment um, and living two hours south, um, more in the center of the state, right? In Eugene. Um, not to say Eugene, Eugene has like an incredible music scene. I mean, it's, 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 it is what it is. I mean, it has like one, one, one like jazz club and then a couple other places that frequently have jazz and then, you know, a university and maybe 30 or 40 musicians that are really serious about that, that kind of music. And, you know, so it has what it has. And I, I don't know. I don't know what it would be like uh, being somewhere else, but that environment taught me what it taught me. And I was able to connect with a lot of um, great musicians and try a lot of things. I think that's what I'm probably most happy and, and grateful for about my experience was just having this environment to just like try stuff. Not that you can't like try things in, in New York or, or whatever, but um, I don't know. Oregon is, a, is it's just, it was kind of like a comfy place just to, just to figure it out. So if I didn't go to school, I probably would have stayed in Portland and just tried to do the same thing, just connect with people. But again, I, I, I don't even know if I would have wanted to do that because Got it. I obviously didn't even know that I wanted to major in music, like kind of until I started doing it, you know? I mean, I, I applied yeah, as a music major because that was what I did. Like, I just didn't makes know sense. what else I would do, but I had my dad saying, I don't know, maybe you should double major in like something else just in case, which is a totally great piece of advice because a lot of people... A lot of my friends ended up halfway through or toward the end of their degree being like, yeah, I don't think I really want to do music. And if they had done a double major, that would be really helpful for them to hop to All another right. thing for a master's degree or, or what have you. So I don't know. So don't you're saying that. that you're saying that you shouldn't go to college. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Is that what I'm, I'm just saying? kidding, Don? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. All right. I, so it's a hard, it's honestly, it's a hard thing. To, I know to I know. to tell to, it's, it's I, I don't know what to I, tell I can, people I, I totally have I can tell how difficult it is it really is because it's like well I, mean, I don't want to tell you not to go because like it did help me and and I don't right. I can't see exactly what I would have done without it I know but I but I, I am very very like yeah. dark on it here and there like I'm like I don't know maybe it's a waste of time okay. or money uh, so I, I get it I get it so okay uh, let's take a minute to thank our sponsor we'll be right back with Tony Glousey. We're all into equipment, right? What mouthpiece do you play? What horn are you using? Well, when's the last time you really thought about the equipment on your own body? Namely, your lips. Robinson's Remedies is the solution to all problems that we all have with our lips. Swollen chops after or even during a long gig? Lip Renew will bring instant relief and keep that swelling at bay. Do you get cold sores and are forced to play with the excruciating pain that comes with them? Then lip repair is what you need. Robinson's Remedies does lips, and Lip Renew and Lip Repair will keep your chops in peak performance shape. Order a couple of tubes today at trumpetdynamics.com slash lips. All right, Tony, let's talk about New York. New York, New York, New York. College is done. Doesn't matter that you made a mistake going to college. It's done. It's over with. You can't relive it. And now here you are in New York. Now, you said that your wife... Is she the reason that you moved to New York? Because you said that she got a job with the Manhattan School of Music. Yeah, no, no, we we, um, well, it's been a a dream of of mine. I mean, I just love this city yeah. through and through. I love it to death. I I would just, I always have just wanted to live in New York for, for so many reasons. I mean, I love I love people. I love different cultures. I love the melting pot ness of of New York. I love riding the train. I love nightlife. I even like the weather. I like having four seasons. In Oregon, it just kind of rains all year. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, like literally you name it, like I dig it. Um, sure, there like aren't as many trees as in Oregon, but you know, that that's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. <laughs> um, so right. I just, I, what I'm saying is I just love the city. And the first time I, I've, I've been here, I think once a year for the last five years um, for, for mu- music purposes. I mean, the first time I was here, I was here for mm-hmm. almost a month and then it's been about a week or 10 days, um, every other year. And I've, I've just, I just always love the energy. And obviously it has like, an, I mean, just Manhattan alone has like 30 jazz clubs and that's, that's just super amazing. <laughs> when did you get, when did you get first get the idea that you wanted to move here? Right. So or, I mean, move to New York, I guess it was the first time I came here, which is in 2013. Oh, wow. I was like, well, this, okay. this place is awesome. And I kind of knew it would be mm-hmm. cause I had always just fantasize i mean i just i don't know i like buildings like i said i just i just like the 
cities just make sense to me. It's like, I just feel like everybody should live in a city or live in a farm and, and, and I could go, that's like a whole, that's a different conversation, but like, it just made sense to me. It's like, that's where commerce, that's where trade happens. That's like where the world comes together to, to make things happen. And so I got that energy. I got that vibe. I just loved everything. And I was here in, in August too. It was like just nasty hot. And, and I still, I loved it. I was roughing it. I was just living with my friend in Brooklyn, um, going to the laundromat, just like trying to find like cheap orange juice. Like, yeah, you know, I just really was just <laughs> doing the thing. And I, and I didn't, I, it's not like I was like staying in a, in a nice hotel or anything in Manhattan. I, I really just experienced the city, you know, like a, like an artist would experience it. And I don't, I just fell in love with that. I, I liked the grind. And so I've wanted to just do what I'm doing in Oregon. I actually considered, um, transferring just because of how much I like. And I, and I went and I visited Philly and Boston as well. Um, and I visited my friends who would go to those, you know, Temple, um, University of the Arts in Philadelphia, and then Berkeley and New England Conservatory in Boston. I visited my friends and I checked the schools out. Um, not because I wasn't digging the U of O. I just, I really wanted that city experience and I wanted to be in that environment. So I, I definitely fell in love immediately and just wanted to be a part of the music scene here and just me just meet meet amazing musicians and just make make music with those people um and try to give to the city of new york and the people that are there um so i i fell in love immediately and every year that i came back i was like wow it would just be amazing if i could live here and then i actually applied to juilliard um when i was in 2015 um but or 2014 or whatever it would have been for 2015 when i was finishing my undergrad degree um, I was applying to Juilliard and then I did not submit the application because I ended up getting engaged. <laughs> so that just held me ah, in Oregon. So that was like, I mean, it was, it was a decision I had to make. It was like, well, okay, if I, if I go to New York, like I'm not staying with this woman and I'm not like, I'm out of here to do my master's or whatever. Um, not to say that I would have gotten in, who knows, but I, I was, I was gunning for it. Um, and it didn't happen. That's no big deal. I, I didn't, I didn't submit it. I, I got married and I ended up staying around. Steve, um, at the U of O asked me to stay and do the teaching assistantship at Oregon. So that's why I stayed for the extra two years. Um, but all through that master's degree, I was just like, man, I want to be in New York. And it was really hard for me. I, I definitely had a hard time in my master's degree. Um, for, for that reason, I just like, didn't, not that I didn't want to be there. I just I just knew where I knew where I was headed. I knew that I wanted to be somewhere else, and so it was just like you just wanted to be in New York. Yeah, it was just hard to just like sit in in, in yeah, Oregon for another it. two. It was ended up being two and a half years, um, or almost yeah, exactly because it was because right we moved yeah. So it it was hard. Um, but that well, but Oregon that's, is but, certainly cheaper to live than New York, isn't it? Yeah, I mean it's like half as expensive. <laughs> so that's yeah. so you're able to s- save a few shekels and. Uh, tell us about the transition. When did you start making plans to move from Oregon to New York? Tell us about that process and uh, tell us about um, some of the first steps that you did first to let people know that you were arriving and then what happened when you finally hit the ground and how how is the first month or so of your transition gone? Yeah, um, we started making preparations officially at the beginning of 2017. So it's okay. been about a year. Um, wow. I, let's see. I, Courtney and I had already agreed. So there was a time where we thought, oh, maybe maybe we'll do, maybe we'll move to like Los Angeles. And the reason why it was like LA or New York is because those are, those are big artistic communities where she and I could both um, have a lot of opportunity. And LA looked attractive just because it was kind of closer to, both of our families, hers being from Northern California and mine being from Portland. Um, but man, I just don't like LA like at all. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll change my mind one day, but I, I just didn't, I'm just not, I, I, I don't know. It just is like the reasons I like New York are like not, not there in Los Angeles. I mean, it has an amazing music community for sure. And there's so much cool culture there, but I just, as weird as it sounds like I'm, I'm just not that into the weather and I'm not like that into just driving a car like all the time and having to sit in traffic and whatnot. <laughs> the, the list goes on. I mean, um, and I was just talking to musicians about like their experience in the industry and what, what being in LA is really like. Um, 
And yeah, it's definitely a hustle and a grind just like it is in New York. And it's just different. So I basically, we just, we're like, wow, I don't, I don't really know if that fits just our vibe as people. And I can definitely say like having been to New York a lot at that point, when we were making the decision. I was like, I just, I just like, I jive with this, with this community a lot more. It just fits my personality. So after we, you know, did away with the idea of moving to Los Angeles, um, which was sort of in 2016, we ended up just being like, that's it. We're just going to move to New York. So in 2017, we just started to like, we just kind of decided in our minds that it was going to happen. And when the new year came in 2017, we were, we were looking at potentially moving in the summer, like right when I finished my degree in June, um, like July or whatever. But then we just realized that that was, that was silly. Uh, that would be like just jumping on it and Courtney was working. And so we, we were looking at maybe moving like the next summer. So that would have been in summer of this year, 2018. But I said, I don't know how long I can just like continue to just do the same thing um, that I've been doing for the last few years. And anyways, you know, you know, we just did the marriage thing. We just like, we came to a conclusion that somewhere in the middle was the right time. And February is like just a very slow month in general for a lot of mm -hmm. different reasons i mean just business and life it's just a kind of nice convenient time to just pack it up and move and, and we definitely scored um it, on that move it just really was very smooth um didn't you have a little hiccup when you first arrived in new york we did i mean and i'll get to that in a second but we ended up buying our flights okay. in in october or something like that and just committing wow. to february like 11th or 12th or whatever it was um Kind of with no so plan. You must but, have left like just about everything in New York, or sold everything, and just took whatever you could fit in suitcases. Yeah, um, we wow. we're kind of minimalist to start. We don't we don't own a lot of okay. things. I mean, I I, I own clothes. Like we own basically, we each have clothes, and then we have kitchen gear, and then music gear, and that's really about it. So yeah, we sold our furniture, um, and some extra things, and. We're living, I think our apartment is only like 400 square feet, which is pretty funny. It doesn't even, it doesn't feel, cause like that seems so small, but it really doesn't feel that small. But yeah, like we don't have, we don't have a lot. We didn't, we're not like storing th a bunch of stuff in a storage unit or at grandparents' house or anything. It's like, no, we have what, what we have. Um, and when we first arrived, we, we were in an apartment in Brooklyn. It was probably twice as big as the one that we are in now. Um, and it, we, we liked that apartment a lot. Um, but what happened was we just did not have any, like none of the, <laughs> none of the amenities were functioning due to a gas issue. So like we didn't have hot water. Uh. We didn't have our dishwasher and our laundry machines didn't work. Everything like the apartment was legally uninhabitable and our management <laughs> was doing nothing about that. And it was mm -hmm. very obviously not going to get better anytime soon. So we had to terminate that lease really quickly. Like, like, like 10 days, 12, 12 days. It was almost two weeks that we lasted. Did you, did you rent the thing sight unseen? I'm just curious. No, no, no. We, we had video toured it because I had a friend who works for oh, okay. a, um, I, okay. yeah, like a listing agency. So we had video toured it and we, we really did like it. And that's why we, we, mm -hmm. we scored that place. Anyway, didn't work out, had to move, um, but ended up being a much better thing for us because now we live, we live up in Harlem on 136th and we're just a 15 minute walk from manhattan school of music so ah, that's nice. a really easy commute commute for for the lady and for me I, I like being up here there's tons of musicians and it's a super artistic um man i just I, harlem's awesome so and i love it and we're right well you said something like when you were in eugene there was like 30 or 40 serious musicians i i can't remember exactly what you said but that's like the number you gave I, that's such a dumb thing so, to say i have no idea that just like okay it just well seems, let's just it's say a small that place is what i'm saying yeah i get it Let's say that there's, let's just say that there's 50 serious gigging musicians in Eugene, which if you think about it, it's not that, that's not, that's not that far off the mark. If you think about it, it's probably like a hundred. I have no idea, but sure. <laughs> All right. Well, let's say that it's 50. So how many are in New York city and what's it like to try to make your mark there? How do you, how do you make yourself unique, stand out? Well, see, so that's the thing that's been like messing me up the last, the last few weeks is I'm recognizing you know, people, people in other places and cities will say, you know, you got to just be, you know, you got to be amazing on your instrument and you got to be, you got to have like a, you know, strong person, you know, strong personality and just like meet people, you know, make connections, blah, blah, blah. And I'm, and I'm realizing now being here, it's like, 
I mean, even even with all that, even with awards, even with it doesn't matter. It just doesn't like. There's another thing that needs to, yeah. and, I, and I'm trying to figure out like what is this thing because I'm looking at you know you go to hear a band or you you go to a session or whatever you hear like amazing musicians with you know super outgoing and, and nice personality or and and what have you. But it's like, but how is that person over there like so much further? You know, so I'm just it, it's really a, it's a weird thing. I mean, I I think at the end of the day, what it comes down to is like the amount of passion that a musician has for the music. I think that is what speaks. That's what communicates with other musicians. And that's what communicates with an audience more than anything else is just the passion that you have mm. for, for the music. So I, I don't feel like I have to try that hard to have passion for the music because I, I just am very passionate about it. But that, but that is something that I've been thinking about a whole bunch is just, you know, all the really successful musicians here are just, they're so deep into the music um, and into their audience, no doubt, and into the musicians that they're playing with. It's just about connecting. I think music is about connecting uh, with yourself, with your band, with your audience. And so pa passion is it. At the end of the day, I think that's what makes people stand out. It's not the fancy haircut or even the way they play. I mean, those things might help like mm -hmm. a little bit. They might help or just a little bit? I don't really know. I mean, because you hear people uh -huh. that like, that that don't dress up i mean not that they're just right. wearing like dad jeans but i mean it's like you know that that doesn't you especially depending on the venue like you know you go to you go to smalls late night and it's not like people there are just dressed in a tuxedo you know it so it's not about <laughs> it's not about that like like i was saying everybody thinks you're dressing for the occasion well sure yeah but I, everybody thinks yeah. that there's like this checklist of things and if you just check all these boxes that like you'll make it in music whatever that means <laughs> and i just don't think that's true i think that there's there, there it's 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 more it's harder to to do than just check up check a bunch of boxes there, there's something else so so to answer your question I, I don't know what it is but it sure seems like passion um and sure innovation as well like sounding sounding like somebody else or you you know being being no different from anybody else definitely is not an advantage you know so so being somehow mm -hmm. different whether it's your appearance or the, or the music or the way you play that's super important but like forcing being different like oh well you know nobody is you know nobody's really playing in a a band without a bass or a drummer but instead having three guitars trumpet sax maybe i should do that like i mean sure that would probably be fine but like just like look at like fishing for something that's different doesn't necessarily satisfy that if you if you catch my drift so um mm. i don't know i think it really has to be a natural thing and that's why i'm saying the passion like an, an art an artist's success is first of all that's that's such a complicated thing to even measure because that's very subjective but it, mm. it really is yes. just about like a a personal quest like a like if if they're searching and they're reaching for what it is that they want to convey then that's success and if if people like it then maybe they have financial success on top of that artistic success right so at the end of the day yeah well it is it is hard to measure passion you can't just uh, like say i have 3 yards of passion i'll i'll have i'll take 3 yards of passion please you can't do that and you can't you can't provide that when you're a musician but when i hear the word passion and i want to see if you agree with this but it's like you know someone is passionate when they're really playing music that really reflects who they are as an individual. That's when you're really passionate. I agree. Do you agree yeah, with I that? I agree. And it's really a convenient thing when that product at the end of the day connects with a lot of people, which is why, yeah. I mean, when you hear a pop musician do their thing too, like they're very passionate as well. And the reason why they're able to be like on top of it all, just like so financially successful is because their music just connects with that many more people for better or for worse. We don't need to comment on, on that. That's a whole different thing. Like, but they're still making art and they're still, hopefully if they're being genuine and true to themselves, they're still like pulling out of, you know, they're, they're relating to people through their own experiences, just like you were saying. So, I mean, it doesn't really matter how you're doing it and it doesn't matter what art form, whether it's music or food or cinema, you know, it's, it, yeah, it's about pulling your heart out and sharing that with other people. Tell us about, you've been in New York for a, a month. Uh, did you, um, and I, I guess you said that you'd been there at least once a year. 
Did you have contacts that you could call and say, hey, I'm coming to New York and I'm going to be looking for gigs and can you help me? What, what was the process of like actually finding gigs once yeah did you have so far a few things lined up when you got there yeah i mean i I had like i was touring in colorado last week which is not Mm -hmm. in new york obviously but um and i'm and i'm gonna do a 10-day um tour actually back in oregon throughout the state um next month in april and i have things like sprinkled throughout the year that involve travel so i had work um already set up and yes i do have a lot of friends that live in new york and and make music but the funny thing about it, so far, uh, the majority of the the work that I've gotten has been from trumpet players, actually, um, subbing out, subbing them out, basically, like, oh, I'm in this big band, like, you know, can you come, can you come play tomorrow? Or like, oh, yeah, next, next two weeks, I'm, I'm going to be out, would you come play? Or like, hey, I'm going on tour with this other band, would you play this? You know, this, <laughs> I got a call to play in like a, it was like, yeah, it's like German, German folk music slash jazz. And I was like, that's interesting, you know, so anything um those those things are coming from trumpet players right now um i am i am putting together a band um i think it might shape shift for the for the first few months as far as personnel goes um but i am putting together a band and we're doing a show uh, over here in west harlem in and two two wednesdays so as a band leader so that's cool and you know i've played as a band leader in the past when i've come to the city but this will be I think, yeah, this will be the first, my first band leader show, like since, since moving back. Um, and wow. yeah, I, so I, anything. Well, I mean, I mean, that's, that's just, that's just you being the entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No. And I'm, and I'm looking Seems to come naturally to you. It does come naturally. Well, and, and like I said, it's, it's my means of eating. You know what I mean? It's like, if, yep. if I just like had a trust fund or if my parents were paying for my rent, then I guess I wouldn't grind that hard. But like I, I do what I do because I need to. I mean, what am else? Like I, I could get a day job, which I don't necessarily have a like problem with whatsoever. Like if that felt like the right thing to do, I would, I would do it. Um, but yeah, right now, like my wife and I are just we're we're artists. That's what we're doing. We're just gonna we're just gonna grind and, until until it works. Not to say that it's not working. It our our life is it is good as it is. And I'm really I think um, musicians in particular struggle with this, like always thinking that it's like going to get better or, or in a year or in two years. And that, that can leave you always feeling undersatisfied and really kind of depressed about like where your life currently is. And so I've been working a lot recently on just recognizing like, no, this is where I want to be. This is what I want to be doing. And sure, it might be better in 10 years, but it's good now. Um, so that's, you know, that's kind of a, that's like a little, meditation exercise or, you know, like a really philosophical way or, you know, just connecting to yourself, you know, existentially and just like being okay with, with where things are and not always trying to hustle and make it, make it better and ex- and expect that in, in six months, your life will, will be further along and, and you'll be happier. Mm-hmm. Like, no, it's good. It's good now. So, you know, I mean, it's like, yeah, I'm not, you know, it's not going to be like the dream gig or something, but, but this, this opportunity that I have, um, at this venue that there's talks of making it a weekly thing if it goes well well that's kind of a dream for me I and mean, i haven't i haven't done a weekly for for years and the weekly that i was doing back in eugene like literally didn't pay that was back when i was a freshman and i was i was totally down to just play for a meal and for tips um but i feel like really fortunate to have walked into this opportunity that who knows maybe maybe it won't turn into a weekly thing maybe it won't be as hip as um, we're planning to make it no, no idea but it's like you said just being an entrepreneur, just like hustling and just trying to, trying to make things work um, and just see what happens. And if, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, well, Hey, that that's like, it's like, I'm a little startup business in a way. And I'm just like trying a bunch of different things. And when something works, people connect to it, you roll with it and you don't really know what people are going to connect to. You, you, you can kind of guess, but you never really know until you do it. And you never really know how you're going to like it too. You could, you could get all dreamy about something and put it together. And then you realize you don't even like it. So I'm I'm definitely <laughs> the older I get, the more I'm realizing it's just to be patient. I mean, when I asked I asked Winton what his number one piece of advice for me would be, and he said, "If there's, if there's anything I, I wish I would have known at your age, it was just be patient." <laughs> he's like, "Be patient." He's like, "It it'll it'll come. Like whatever it is, it it'll come." And now that doesn't mean sit yeah. around, but I'm he's telling that to to me as somebody who's who's not just going to sit around, 
you know, maybe if somebody was like super lazy, he would have a different piece of advice. But it's like, for my type of personality, I'm so like freak out aggressive about things. It's like, all right, let's make it happen. It's like, hang on, it's gonna happen. And if you freak out, you'll you'll actually make like the wrong decisions because you won't let things happen naturally. It's like I said about the path of least resistance. It's like when things happen, you know, I mean, I really believe in, in, in karma. That's actually my mom's, my mom's first name, which is funny. <laughs> but I really believe in that. I believe in like good karma and bad karma. I believe in like, you know, fate to some, to some degree. I, I really think that like things just sort of happen the way they're supposed to happen. The world, the, the you know, the wheels are turning and, and you're just a part of this, this natural phenomenon that is like human life. Thank you to Tony Glaussi for being on the show, both in 2018 and again here in 2022. Reminder to follow my exploits on my email newsletter. It's something that I enjoy putting out and I've got a lot of positive feedback. Go to trumpetdynamics.com and you can subscribe and we can stay in touch. Thank you again for pressing play on today's episode and we'll catch you on the flip side.